Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Galatians 5 is where you'll find a passage in the Bible uh, where Paul is writing about the fruits of the Spirit. And they are love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law. Basically, Paul has been, just before this, is talking about how you can, there's two kind of ways to live. You can live by your flesh, your kind of raw desires of being men and women uh, and just being human, which doesn't end well. Actually, it leads us to bad stuff. But when you become a Christian, when you encounter Jesus, he pours his spirit into your life and it changes those horrible things to these nice things, these fruits that the Spirit wants to grow in our lives. So it's not about we work really hard and we do it, all right, or else. Actually, it's just the grace of God on you, growing these fruits as you devote yourself to Jesus. You become more like him. So that's where we are, a bit of contest. But here we go. Engaging in acts of kindness. So we're talking about kindness. We're not doing them in order as well, for some of you that might be keen-eyed. Uh, you'll notice self-control is the last one, but we've already done that near the start for some reason. But here we go. Engaging in acts of kindness produces endorphins. That's the body's natural painkiller. Did you know that? Perpetually kind people have 23% less cortisol. That's the stressy hormone. And they age two times slower on average than the average population. So that's kindness. Good stuff, right? Kindness is good. So if you're perpetually kind, if you're regularly kind, you get that, and you get this continuous feeling of joy, apparently. I did all this on some Google Scholar uh, research. Uh, but unlike most people, I'm going to give away the plot of the story now. Uh, endorphins are nice. Less stress in your life is nice. Uh, and if you manage to live longer as a result of someone else, on average, uh, because you're a bit kinder after this talk, that's all nice. It's nice, but it's not the point of today's sermon. Okay, today's sermon is I want to show you something of a personal kindness of God that you can know for yourself and that in turn when you receive and know that kindness you show it to the world around you which weirdly will make everyone live a bit longer if you believe in that stuff so that's interesting so what does kindness mean? well most weeks we've been looking at dictionary definitions haven't we? Kind of what other words might we, what might we bring in to help us understand what kindness means? So the dictionary might use words like friendly, or considerate, generous, compassionate, or caring. So when you think of kindness, don't just sometimes think of the word kindness, because sometimes that can mean different things, I'll go into that a little bit now. Think of all these things as well. When I was preparing a talk, what I tend to do, certainly on a topic, a themed preach like this, I sit down and I think, well, what does kindness mean to me? And so what I thought of was, you know, kindness is helping old ladies cross the road, isn't it? That's kind. Kindness is giving to the poor donkey to the donkey sanctuary in Sutton Park. Kindness is giving up time, maybe, to help someone fix something. Or offering the last biscuit, uh, the last time we were there, there was one more biscuit on the plate. And I really wanted it. But the kind thing to do was to offer it to everyone else first. And let them all say no before. Because obviously I'm asking them, they obviously know that actually I want it. Um, so it's funny how these kindness things work, isn't it? And then I thought of the opposite. I thought unkindness. 
And weirdly, I didn't go to the opposite of the things that I thought were kind. I didn't think of unkindness as shoving old ladies into the road, or robbing donkeys, or deliberately breaking someone's car, or snatching the last biscuit on the plate. Although those things are obviously unkind, and if you're in any doubt about that, then come and see me afterwards. Um, now, I remember these things when I was thinking of unkindness. I remember not being invited to someone's party at school just because of who I was. I wasn't in the group. I didn't get invited. I felt that was unkind. I, I remember being mocked and ridiculed in my youth group because I gave someone a second-hand present. My parents used to do have like a present drawer. So when they bought stuff or we got leftover presents that we didn't, none of us really wanted, they tended, tended to be new, but always new up until this point. And they went in the drawer, so I just wrapped something up and gave it to my mate. And it was like a diary, and it had something, like someone had already started writing in this diary, and I gave it to someone as a present. Can you imagine being 14, everyone's watching, and they open the present up, someone's written in this. I just, I want to die inside. And here's the worst one, this is the linchpin. My first day of my new primary school, so in year three I had to change schools because we moved house. And I didn't know anyone, didn't know the structures in place, didn't really know the teachers, but I was a, believe it or not, I was a confident lad. And uh, in my school, when it was the end of playtime, uh, the teachers wouldn't blow a whistle uh, to kind of bring all the kids in. They would stand there with their hand in the air, and that apparently was like an obvious sign that it was the end of playtime, and everyone should know that. And I didn't know that. And uh, Mr. Hall was standing there with his hand in the air. I just ran up. <laughs> he went crazy at me. He shouted at me for being disrespectful, for being rude, and that I needed to buckle up and learn the ways of the new school. Can you imagine that? Your first day of primary school. How brutal is that? So when I thought of unkindness, that, that, is what I thought of. And it brings up these feelings that you know, I've, I've dealt with that. I forgive him, Mr. Hall. <laughs> but the sadness, I think, still remains somewhat. These experiences that live with us, kindness or unkindness, they're not small things. Every day we get these opportunities to model kindness or unkindness in any given situation. And that teacher, Mr. Hall, modeled something to me on that day. And I think we can need to evaluate the significance of kindness and the feelings that it evokes. Kindness isn't a weak thing. The things I mentioned, old ladies and donkeys, they're like nice things, they're like nice kindness things. In the same way that maybe slightly unkind things is someone just cutting in front of you in a traffic jam or a bus stop. But some things are really unkind. And some things are really kind. And it's good just to have that spectrum of understanding as we look what we're looking at this morning. So it's not a soft word. Roald Dahl is one of my favourite kids' authors. He says, I think probably kindness is my number one attribute in a human being. I'll put it before the things like courage, or bravery, or generosity, or anything else. Kindness, that simple word to be kind, covers everything. To my mind, if you're kind, that's it. I love that. And for a perfect... Biblical example of kindness, we're going to look at the person of Jesus. He was the, the perfect model, isn't he? He was selfless in everything he did. Kindness flowed unceasingly from him. Kindness was his lifestyle. And he took notice of the needy. 
He intentionally and consistently sought them out, even when he was tired and weary. And he did it without partiality. He did it to everyone, even if they didn't deserve it. He turned no one away. I'm going to ask Aaron to read to us our passage this morning. One of the people Jesus didn't turn away was a a man called Zacchaeus. So if you've got a Bible, it's in Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Go for it. Jesus entered uh, Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Uh, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to, the, to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come, has came to seek and save that which was lost. Brilliant. Thanks, Aaron. In Jesus' day, tax debtors were Rome's henchmen. They collect taxes in the local areas and it worked well because they knew the people and they knew the kind of area, they knew how the structures worked in any given village or town. Uh, And as a result, Jewish society often listed them as kind of unclean or sinners. They were despised by the Jewish people. If these people wanted to reach out to God, they they had a really hard time because of how despised they were by the community. The reason is because actually when they took taxes, like Zacchaeus here, it would take a little bit of a Zacchaeus charge on top. So if you need to pay five pounds, you're actually paying six pounds, and he's pocketing the Zacchaeus pound in his pocket, and he does that every time. And over time, everyone knows, basically, the guy's a crook. He's stealing money from us. And not only is he stealing money from us, he's paying the people that are oppressing us. The guy's an absolute tool. He doesn't understand, doesn't have the same values that I have, and I don't want to be part of him. It was a very alienating job. And he couldn't really have gone to the Pharisees and leaders and just, you know, jogged into the synagogue and been part of the whole family crew. There'd have been real, like, kind of division and pain. So what does a guy like that do if he wants to get right with God? How does he do it? Oh, we're going to see. You know, Jesus, unlike all those religious leaders that would have despised him, Jesus extends the hand of kindness to him. He crossed a barrier. This guy is a kid. He's sitting in a tree. And he calls him by name. And there's a few things that I felt God just want to pull out of this story for us this morning. Number one, Jesus' kindness sees you. I love the story of Jesus. Let's, let's climb into the story. Imagine the tax collector. He takes his tentative step forward. He's heard about this guy called Jesus. He's coming to the town. You see, oh, he's quite short. Okay, so you can't really see over people. Uh, that is significant, but I don't have time to go into that today. And he's like, how am I going to get to see this guy? I really want to get a glimpse of this guy everyone's talking about. And he, he grabs hold of the low branches, he swings up, and he looks around. The crowd are coming, the noise is getting louder, the leaves are getting a bit thicker as he's getting to the edge of the branches. I'm, he must have been thinking, at what point does a branch not hold your weight? Like, I don't know. I, maybe it was like there were no leaves on the tree. I don't know. Anyway, he's like, he's on the edge, he's like, oh, 
desperately, desperately wanting to get a sight of this guy. And the crowd below him is teeming with excitement. The noise is growing and growing. His heart's beating faster and faster. He's climbing up. His clothes are getting sweaty now and getting really heavy. And he's just thinking, I just, I don't really care about this. I just need a glimpse of this guy. And then he stops. He sees through the leaves what he was hoping to see. But then he freezes, a bit like a squirrel or rabbit in headlights. Because this guy, Jesus, that he's hoping to get a glimpse of, he's not looking behind him. Jesus isn't looking at the crowd. He's not even looking at where he's going. Jesus is looking up into the tree, right into his eyes. Can you imagine what was going through Zacchaeus' mind in that moment? Imagine the sort of insecurity that I'd be feeling. It's not just Jesus by this point that's looking at him. If the guy that everyone's come to look at stops and looks up into a tree, where does everyone else look? Up into the tree. None, none of us really like being looked at, do we? We don't enjoy it. Don't look at me. I want to shut up shop. We feel like naughty school children in the headmaster's office or something, don't we? And nothing's changed since the birth of man. When Adam and Eve recognise their failures, what do they try and do in the garden? Try and hide. I was trying to hide from God. Stupid. Impossible. So what do we make of this moment? I wonder, just for a moment, as Jesus claps eyes on Zacchaeus, if he doesn't already know this is a life-changing moment for him. And I think when each one of us encounters Jesus, we've got a choice to make. Are you going to welcome him in? Are you going to receive Jesus? Or are you going to turn and run? Because you're aware of your failings and your shame. Funny thing here is the kid doesn't have a choice, he can't run away, can he? He's up a tree. That's just what I was quite interesting. So the kid's eyes on this one, this, this guy who seems to be making all things new, seems to be healing people, restoring people, not just their physical situations or economic situations. He's promising things like forgiveness, this guy. Like Jesus saw Zacchaeus in a different way. When Jesus sees you, he sees you in a different way. Not a problem to be avoided. Not the, the, the outcast who needs to be shunned, but a person who is lost. And we're all lost, guys. And thank God that we have someone who sees us in our brokenness. Here's a takeaway. We're going to have a couple of takeaway points uh, throughout the morning. I'm not going to finish with that, so therefore go and do this. We're going to pick up as we go along. Let other people know that you see them. So just as Jesus has seen you, as you go to work, as you go on your commute, as you go and buy the milk from the same shop every Sunday, or whenever you buy milk, let them know you see them. Start a conversation with someone. I know it's difficult, I know we've got different personalities, but let's let people know that they're seen. They're not invisible to us. Second point. Jesus' kindness calls you by name. Zacchaeus, hurry down. I'm coming to your house for dinner, Jesus says. He's, he calls him by name. And he says, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Everyone in town knew Zacchaeus' name. Oh yeah, they knew his name. He was a guy that's robbing them every day. It wasn't like he was like this sort of anonymous guy. But Jesus never met him before, as far as we know. But yet Jesus knew his name. I think that's a really simple truth. I think some I was talking to Mark about this last week, watching the TV show The Chosen. There's this moment where 
Jesus, he, I think it's Mary Magdalene, he said, Mary. She's facing her way, she's like, oh. And she asked Jesus. Something about the, the prophetic, or the kind of, that God has given Jesus the name, and when someone you don't know calls you by name, what do you feel like? Weird, isn't it? Lots of things. I don't know what to feel. How do you know my name? What, what else do you know about me? Well, it is. If someone knows your name, chances are they know something else about you. However they've heard of your name, it's got to be in a context of something like, ah, oh, that's Chris. He's the guy who does the church stuff in North Birmingham. Instantly, there's a, there's a storyline attached to a name, often. So for Zeus, to Kiers, I think there was probably something going on. Oh, uh-oh. Because everybody knows his name, knows he's a crook. Yeah. I think it's a bit terrifying, sometimes. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's side. He can and does, he searches us, he knows us, he knows our intimate thoughts, the hidden places of our hearts, the things that we are too ashamed or too afraid, even to admit to ourselves. And yet, yet, he calls us by name. He extends the hand of friendship to us. I want to say, you are seen by God. You're called by name. In his kindness, he wants us to turn away from our sin, to turn to him. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Jesus doesn't hover over you with a lightning bolt and demand the world from you before you repent. We're disarmed. When he knows our name, we're disarmed. We've got nothing else to hide. We lay it all bare. Safe in the knowledge that that hand is still outstretched. He's still coming to our house for dinner. We're still welcome. Wonderful. And that's good enough for us personally. It's good enough to know that in our brokenness, in our, uh, in our kind of shame, in our failings as people, we keep making the wrong choices. God still extends that hand of kindness. But we can take that one step further. If we're to live as Jesus lived, and loved as Jesus loved, which we're called to do, we want to seek out those around us as well. Takeaway point number two. Can we at Church Central be a community that learn people's names? Now I know what you're all thinking. Oh, awkward, mate. I'm terrible with faces. Yeah, I know that. I'm so bad with names. I'm not expecting you to suddenly become an expert in everyone's names and sit at home doing loads of research. What I mean is, let's just work a bit harder. Let's understand the significance of knowing people's names. So when you meet someone for the first time, you say, hi, I'm Chris, what's your name? And then try and remember it. Don't just do it as a common, or we'll probably never talk again to them, or anyway. It's true, we do that. It's common courtesy in the British culture, isn't it? We say that we'll yeah, exchange names as a sort of, this is what we do. Let's try and remember people's names, it's significant, and it's an easy point to remember. So there you go, two easy things. Let people know that you see them. And learn people's names, those colleagues, friends, people here. Imagine you, you all don't know everyone else's name in this room. It's not a big room. Shouldn't be too difficult. But it is hard, I'm not going to go, but I'm just saying let's just work hard. And the final point, true kindness costs. Time. Don't know. 
three minutes of this. <coughs> we don't know the full conversation between Zacchaeus and Jesus, but we do know that people started to gossip, didn't they? Why is he going to his house? Scandalous. Doesn't he know who he is? He's a crook. Last year, Matilda came home from school one day. That's my daughter. She was five at the time. I said, how's it going? Did you, did you play on the time? I said, oh, I couldn't play with so and so. I said, oh, what? Oh, she's not there? She's like, oh, she's there. What can you play with? Because obviously girls said, if I play with her, I can't play with her. Five? Five years old? That's messed up, right? We all think that we're a bit different, but reality is, we all feel like I know that's a harshness, but we all at times put something before reaching out the hand of kindness. It might be our own comfort in a social situation, in an exchange where we're meeting someone new. Oh, I don't know, it feels awkward. I don't think I'm going to get on with this person. I'll just make it a bit easier for me. We don't go the extra mile because it often costs us. Those are small things. But the fruit of kindness, this fruit that God wants to grow in us, is totally different. It extends the hand of kindness. Just like Jesus. For Zacchaeus, Jesus' kindness, what did it cost him? And now this? What did it cost Zacchaeus? It's not a rhetorical question. What did it cost Zacchaeus for Jesus to extend the hand of kindness? Before Jesus spoke to him, I don't think it cost him anything. It cost him some energy climbing up a tree. And all Jesus says, I see you, I know your name, and I'm coming to your house for dinner. Ultimately, sorry, yes, it cost him his way of life. But that wasn't a, that wasn't a demand from Jesus, was it? That was a response to the kindness of God that's led him to repentance. Jesus didn't say, I'm coming to your house when you give everyone their money back. It's gone back. He said, I'm coming to your house. Make sure you've got some food ready. Yeah, come straight down, let's go. I think the kindness of Christ cost Zacchaeus nothing, but the kindness modelled by God cost Christ everything. Jesus knows none of us are worthy of his friendship. None of us earn the right to call him friends. But this arm of friendship, this arm of kindness, went to Zacchaeus when he was at his weakest, I think. He got a government employee climbing up trees. That's kind of funny. But how kind is kindness if it costs you nothing? I smile at people. Like when I did all this stuff, I tried to get a few images for the talk. Kindness costs nothing. And it's true, a smile or reaching out to someone, it doesn't seem like very much, does it? So we say it's, it's nothing. Maybe kindness will cost you nothing. But imagine a millionaire paying a £1,000 debt on your behalf that you owe. It's not going to set them back much. They're probably not really going to notice it. But someone with £1,001 in their entire account pays your £1,000 debt. They're both acts of kindness, but one's going to be more costly for some person. Kindness is a bit relative. And we can go through our lives just doing the everyday little things that never cost us. But I don't think that's this fruit. I don't think that's the fruit that the Bible is talking about. I think the kindness that the Spirit of God is wanting to put in us 
is a reflection of the kindness that hung Jesus on a cross, that he paid for his entire life with. Jesus, by the shedding of his blood on the cross, demonstrated his love for us, the entire human race, in this ultimate act of kindness. You want one picture of the, what true kindness looks like, it looks like that. It's a biblical kindness that looks like Christ, not just for a season or one day of the year. It's for every moment of every day. It's a habit and a lifestyle. So when we're busy and we're tired, guys, let's remember kindness is for everyone. Not for us to stay comfortable and maybe look a bit good occasionally. It might cost us. Let's remember to see people. Let's remember to learn people's names. And ultimately, let's remember this model of kindness that was shown to us, that we might show it to other people. Good timing. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, thank you so much for the kindness you shared on the cross. We can never compete with that. But Lord, we're, we're wanting to be a kind people. Would you make Church Central North the kindest place in North Birmingham? Would we just learn to see people like you saw them, to learn people's names, to call them by name, as you did? And let us never make it about ourselves. Lord, where it's hard for us, we need your help. Holy Spirit, keep working these fruits in us, causing us to look more like you every day of our lives. Amen.